Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. People, what's going on? Sidekick, Captain the Binga coming to you, and you know I'm about to say live and direct from Los Angeles. This cool evening at the on the 8 p.m. side of dawn. Hope everybody had a great day out there. Just finished having a conversation before I came on air with Cameron. Keep doing what you're doing, girl. Everything's flowing. Glad we have the connection. Hope everything gets deeper. Let it roll. May we get you on air. So shout out to Cameron out there, people. For those that tuned in for the last show where we interviewed Brother Tope Olawule, science fiction writer extraordinaire, thank you so much for your emails. I didn't realize we had so many listeners tuning in. I got a lot of emails from fellow writers and writers, think people that want to do writing and get into the game for the first time and want to get into the game. The one thing that was very common in their words was that they appreciate the advice that Tope Olawule shared with the masses out there. Let me give a shout-out to Brother Olawule and the family out there. Thank you so much. Hope you guys are doing well out there on the East Coast. People, how's your day? Today we're talking about Battle Libya. You know the movie came out, Battle Los Angeles. So I've always thought about if I had enough to produce some, um, uh, what's that word I'm looking for, some concurrent movies, Battle Congo, Battle South Africa, Battle uh, Japan, Battle Hawaii, whatever to show the alien invasion around the world taking place at the same time. But in this case, so we're going to do a little play on words. Today be Battle Libya. I'm sorry, Battle Libya. Excuse me there. Tomorrow, I believe our show is going to be Battle uh, African Union versus NATO because you notice you haven't heard anything about African Union partners in this uh, international alliance on the North African Brothers, Brethren. And I believe, yes, on Wednesday, we're going to talk about it's going to be Battle Cote d'Ivoire. I believe President Obama, I didn't get the whole speech, but I caught some of it this evening and saw some of the text that was put up online, talked about that to not do anything in Libya, particularly Benghazi, in a place the size of Charlotte, 
would lead to a stain on the soul of humanity, something like that. So if that if, if not doing anything about Benghazi would leave a stain, not doing anything about Cote d'Ivoire is going to leave trauma and gangrene and probably an amputation because people, it is getting deep down there with the militia. And we'll talk about the militia and the army, army and the youth, but we'll get into that towards the end of the program. Today is all about Libya. So, people, how do we get in this groove? What is going on? Before we go further, let's hear some words from uh, President Obama uh, a few days ago. Not today's press conference, but a few days ago. If you want to come to me, you can come at 646-595-2892, 646-95-2892. If you're listening on air, you can go to our chat room. We'll open that up in a few minutes. And, again, we always cloak it where you're going to see yourself and not other people. You have a few people here and there. But for the most part, it just keeps things a little more civil with the comments, what have you. So, again, people, let's hear what President Obama had to say about this. What was the statement on Libya that he made? I believe it was about March 20th. Let's hear his words and go from there. Good afternoon, everybody. I want to take this opportunity to update the American people about the situation in Libya. Over the last several weeks, the world has watched events unfold in Libya with hope and alarm. Last month, protesters took to the streets across the country to demand their universal rights and a government that is accountable to them and responsive to their aspirations. But they were met with an iron fist. Within days, whole parts of the country declared their independence from a brutal regime, and members of the government serving in Libya and abroad chose to align themselves with the forces of change. Muammar Gaddafi clearly lost the confidence of his own people and the legitimacy to lead. Instead of respecting the rights of his own people, Gaddafi chose the path of brutal suppression. Innocent civilians were beaten, imprisoned, and in some cases killed. Peaceful protests were forcefully put down. Hospitals were attacked and patients disappeared. A campaign of intimidation and repression began. In the face of this injustice, the United States and the international community moved swiftly. Sanctions were put in place by the United States and our allies and partners. The UN Security Council imposed further sanctions, an arms embargo, and the specter of international accountability for Gaddafi and those around him. Humanitarian assistance was positioned on Libya's borders and those displaced by the violence received our help. Ample warning was given that Gaddafi needed to stop his campaign of repression or be held accountable. The Arab League and the European Union joined us in calling for an end to violence. Once again, Gaddafi chose to ignore the will of his people and the international community. Instead, he launched a military campaign against his own people. And there should be no doubt about his intentions, because he himself has made them clear. For decades, he's demonstrated a willingness to use brute force through his sponsorship of terrorism against the American people, as well as others, and through the killings that he has carried out within his own borders. And just yesterday, speaking of the city of Benghazi, a city of roughly 700,000 people, he threatened, and I quote, we will have no mercy and no pity. 
No mercy on his own citizens. Now here's why this matters to us. Left unchecked, we have every reason to believe that Gaddafi would commit atrocities against his people. Many thousands could die. A humanitarian crisis would ensue. The entire region could be destabilized, endangering many of our allies and partners. The calls of the Libyan people for help would go unanswered. The democratic values that we stand for would be overrun. Moreover, the words of the international community would be rendered hollow. That's why the United States has worked with our allies and partners to shape a strong international response at the United Nations. Our focus has been clear, protecting innocent civilians within Libya and holding the Gaddafi regime accountable. Yesterday, in response to a call for action by the Libyan people and the Arab League, the UN Security Council passed a strong resolution that demands an end to the violence against citizens. It authorizes the use of force with an explicit commitment to pursue all necessary measures to stop the killing, to include the enforcement of a no-fly zone over Libya. It also strengthens our sanctions and the enforcement of an arms embargo against the Gaddafi regime. Now, once more, Muammar Gaddafi has a choice. The resolution that passed lays out very clear conditions that must be met. The United States, the United Kingdom, France, and Arab states agree that a ceasefire must be implemented immediately. That means all attacks against civilians must stop. Gaddafi must stop his troops from advancing on Benghazi, pull them back from Ajubia, Misrata, and Zawiya, and establish water, electricity, and gas supplies to all areas. Humanitarian assistance must be allowed to reach the people of Libya. Let me be clear. These terms are not negotiable. These terms are not subject to negotiation. If Gaddafi does not comply with the resolution, the international community will impose consequences, and the resolution will be enforced through military action. In this effort, the United States is prepared to act as part of an international coalition. American leadership is essential, but that does not mean acting alone. It means shaping the conditions for the international community to act together. That's why I've directed Secretary Gates and our military to coordinate their planning, and tomorrow Secretary Clinton will travel to Paris for a meeting with our European allies and Arab partners about the enforcement of Resolution 1973. We will provide the unique capabilities that we can bring to bear to stop the violence against civilians, including enabling our European allies and Arab partners to effectively enforce a no-fly zone. I have no doubt that the men and women of our military are capable of carrying out this mission. Once more, they have the thanks of a grateful nation and the admiration of the world. I also want to be clear about what we will not be doing. The United States is not going to deploy ground troops into Libya. And we are not going to use force to go beyond a well-defined goal, specifically the protection 
of civilians in Libya. In the coming weeks, we will continue to help the Libyan people with humanitarian and economic assistance so that they can fulfill their aspirations peacefully. Now, the United States did not seek this outcome. Our decisions have been driven by Gaddafi's refusal to respect the rights of his people and the potential for mass murder of innocent civilians. It is not an action that we will pursue alone. Indeed, our British and French allies and members of the Arab League have already committed to take a leadership role in the enforcement of this resolution, just as they were instrumental in pursuing it. We are coordinating closely with them. And this is precisely how the international community should work, as more nations bear both the responsibility and the cost of enforcing international law. This is just one more chapter in the change that is unfolding across the Middle East and North Africa. From the beginning of these protests, we've made it clear that we are opposed to violence. We've made clear our support for a set of universal values and our support for the political and economic change that the people of the region deserve. But I want to be clear. The change in the region will not and cannot be imposed by the United States or any foreign power. Ultimately, it will be driven by the people of the Arab world. It is their right and their responsibility to determine their own destiny. Let me close by saying that there is no decision I face as your Commander-in-Chief that I consider as carefully as the decision to ask our men and women to use military force, particularly at a time when our military is fighting in Afghanistan and winding down our activities in Iraq. That decision uh, is only made more difficult. But the United States of America will not stand idly by in the face of actions that undermine global peace and security. So I've taken this decision with the confidence that action is necessary and that we will not be acting alone. Our goal is focused, our cause is just, and our coalition is strong. Thank you very much. Well, that was interesting. You know, there's his, uh, there's his insight as President Obama giving a brief statement on Libya. But, you know, to be fair, let's hear, and before we get a little deeper here, let's hear uh, Kristen Amanpour, outstanding reporter, journalist out there doing what she often often always does is getting the exclusive. She had an exclusive with Saif Gaddafi, uh, President Gaddafi's son. Let's hear what he had to say. We've heard the, uh, the, the voices of America, the president. Let's hear what Muammar Gaddafi's son had to say about this. Saif Gaddafi, who looked, at, who looked at as a moderate and was actually in the United States not too long before the air attacks began. Uh, through the coalition. Hold on. Let's see the episode. A defiant Muammar Gaddafi is promising a long war. One day after the United States and a broad international coalition launched military strikes on his country, British and American ships and submarines fired 112 cruise missiles at more than 20 targets on the coast. American B-2 bombers took out a Libyan airfield, all part of the largest Western military intervention in the Arab world since the start of the Iraq war. The show of force is designed to impose a no-fly zone to prevent the Libyan strongman from firing on his own people. Sunday, Tripoli shook with the sound of explosions and anti-aircraft fire. Libyan state television reported that 48 people had been killed. But today, in a phone call to state television, Gaddafi said Libyans stand ready to fight what he calls 
Crusaders. This is a fight, he says, that he will win. You are not capable of a prolonged, for a prolonged war in Libya. We consider ourselves ready for a long war. Be aware of that. We're not retrieving anywhere because it's our land. This is where we're staying. Then you're going to return defeated. Joining me on the line from Tripoli in Libya, Saif al-Islam, Colonel Gaddafi's second son and close advisor. Saif, thank you for joining me. Can you tell me right now, where are you and what is happening there right now? You know, we are in Tripoli, as you know, but uh, yesterday we were uh, surprised that, uh, you know, uh, the Americans and the British and uh, the French uh, attacked Libya, attacked five cities, terrorized people and especially children, women were so afraid yesterday, uh, heavy bombing everywhere. So it was a big surprise that finally President Obama, we thought he's a good man and a friend of the Arab world, is uh, bombing uh, Libya. Uh, Safe. President Obama very explicitly gave your father an ultimatum and said, cease fire, stop, and this won't happen. He then had to say that the attacks continue and the United States cannot sit idly by while a leader says that there will be no mercy. Why did your father continue the attacks in Benghazi? Why didn't he have a ceasefire? First of all, uh, our people went to Benghazi to liberate Benghazi from the, the, the gangsters and the armed militia. So if, you, if uh, the Americans want, uh, want to help uh, the Libyan people in Benghazi, so go to Benghazi and liberate Benghazi from the militia and the terrorists. So, oh. so do it. My question, though, is there is now missile strikes and an air attack against Libya. Will Colonel Gaddafi step down? Will he step aside? Step aside why? I mean, to step... I mean, again, there's a big misunderstanding. The whole country is united against the armed militia and the, and the, and the, and the terrorists. You are you, you, simply you are the Americans and the other Western countries. You are supporting the terrorists and the armed militia. That's it. Safe, will there be Libyan retaliation against, let's say, commercial flights around the Mediterranean or other targets? No, this is not our target. Our target is how to help our people in Libya, especially in Benghazi. Believe me, they are living a nightmare. A nightmare, really. A nightmare. They have no freedom, not, nothing under the rule of the armed militia. So, we urge the Americans either to go there themselves and help our people there, or let the Libyan people help um, uh, their brothers in, in Benghazi. But believe me, one day you wake up and you will, you will find out that you were supporting the wrong people. And you, you are doing a big mistake with supporting those people. It's like the WND in Iraq. Right. It's another story. Saif al-Islam, thank you very much indeed for joining us from Tripoli. Thank you. Interesting point there. Now, that's in, now we're having both sides there. And you have to ask your question. The question is, uh, President Obama, our respect and love, he, he, he tends to mention the civilians, but yet it's not the civilians that are holding the guns, it's these rebels. And no one's ever asked who these rebels are, or people are not speaking about who these rebels are and defending civilians. But what if, I'm not saying Qaddafi's uh, son is correct, but what if, you know, I'm not saying he's wrong either. I'm not there. We're not there. You're not there. But what if he is correct? What if he is, this guy was is, is seen as a moderate. He was in the United States about two weeks before the attack, a week before the attack doing businesses in Europe and what have you. 
But what if he's telling the truth? What if he's saying that these people are terrorists? These people are militias. These people are gangsters. And as he said, go and liberate Benghazi. We have to really – I think it's a mistake when we start saying we just make it black and white and say, well, you know, the voice of freedom is, is going across Libya. But, you know, the army that's leaving Tripoli to go fight the people of Benghazi before the airstrike started, I mean, yes, some people defected to the other side. At the same time, a lot of the army and a lot of people did not. In fact, at this, at the report I got two days ago that the entrance to Benghazi is heavily mined. So exactly what, how they're rebels to accomplish what they're doing without, you know, initiating bloodshed against the people that uh, allegedly that they're fighting for. Who are the rebels? Who are these people? There's a lot of theories on this. But one of the things that came up is we talk about a ceasefire. So there was a ceasefire, I believe. Um, President Gaddafi, President Gaddafi, yes. President Colonel Gaddafi talked about a ceasefire. He offered a ceasefire, and Secretary Clinton had this to say. Hours after Muammar Gaddafi's government said it was declaring a unilateral ceasefire in its offensive to crush Libya's revolt, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton expressed doubt that Gaddafi will adhere to this declaration. Now we've seen press reports of a ceasefire uh, by the Libyan government. Uh, this is a fluid and dynamic situation. Uh, we are uh, going to be uh, not uh, uh, responsive or impressed by words. We would have to see actions on the ground um, and that is not yet at all clear. With Ireland's Deputy Prime Minister Eamon Gilmore at her side, Clinton said the U.N. resolution authorizing a no-fly zone and military action against Libya was only one step aimed at forcing Gaddafi to halt military operations and ultimately leave power. We will continue to work uh, with our partners in the international community to press uh, Gaddafi to leave. Uh, and to uh, support the legitimate aspirations of the Libyan people. With multilateral military plans against Libya now being drawn up, there are ongoing reports of fighting and shelling in Misurata, a rebel stronghold in northwest Libya. John Decker, Reuters. And there we have Secretary Clinton. Not to recall, I want to have the right city. Is it Benghazi that is mined, or there's one on the pathway towards Tripoli that is heavily mined? Either way, yes. If I can get our one of our people here to give me that information on this city, but I, I'm kind of curious about the no-fly zone that they spoke of because uh, is what exactly changed Secretary Clinton's uh, mind? Secretary of State Clinton's mind about the no-fly zone. Because what a lot of people don't know is that this is what she had to say about it, uh, about a no-fly zone when she testified before the Senate, the Senate hearings. Despite a chorus of U.S. lawmakers calling for a no-fly zone over Libya, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton expressed deep doubts about the proposal in testimony before a House Appropriations Subcommittee. And I want to remind people that you know, we had a no-fly zone over Iraq. It did not prevent Saddam Hussein from slaughtering people on the ground, and it did not get him out of office. We had a no-fly zone, and then we had 78 days of bombing in Serbia. It did not get Milosevic out of office. 
It did not get him out of Kosovo until we put troops on the ground with our allies. Meanwhile, on the Senate side of the Capitol, two top intelligence officials told the Senate Armed Services Committee that Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi won't be leaving Libya anytime soon. James Clapper is the U.S. Director of National Intelligence. We believe uh, that Gaddafi is in this for the long haul. I don't think he has any intention, despite some of the press speculation to the contrary of leading. From all evidence uh, that we have, which should be prepared to discuss in closed session, uh, he appears to be hunkering down for the duration. Clapper also said that the Libyan military has a substantial advantage over the rebels they're fighting. Libyan air defense structure on the ground, radars and surface-to-air missiles, is, uh, is quite substantial. In fact, it's the second largest in, in the Mideast after, after Egypt. If it's such military superiority, Clapper said, it's very likely that over the long term, Gaddafi will prevail over rebels in the eastern part of Libya. John Decker, Reuters. So what happened? What happened where she testified, wasn't the Senate, it was the House? What happened that to change their mind? People saying that Ambassador Rice to the U.N., they're saying Samantha Powers, who was a left the Obama campaign some time ago, and along those two, the added person to the trio, forming the trio with Secretary Clinton. What changed her mind? And again, we have to recall something here. When President, and again, I'm not taking anyone's side, so I'm just presenting it to you, but yet when President uh, Gaddafi, Colonel Gaddafi, said that he was going to show no mercy, he was talking about the rebels. And that's what he says. I will show these rebels and gangsters and militias no mercy. And he said, we'll go house to house looking for them. He never said anything about the civilians. I mean, that's just the statement that, that was coming out of, literally, out of, out of uh, news bureaus overseas. He was talking about the rebels. And now, again, who are these rebels? Who are these folks that are picking? We know people are switching sides. And, you know, Duff, you know I believe uh, Gaddafi's son, one of his sons, was killed some time ago by a suicide uh, fighter pilot who crashed into one of the compounds in, outside of Tripoli. But who are these people that are lifting their arms against these folks? And when they talk about, against uh, Gaddafi, and when they talk about the international community, they're always saying French, European, and NATO. But where's Africa in this whole thing? I thought Egypt, I thought uh, uh, Libya was part of Africa, North Africa. And he's in a lot for the African countries, you know, um, on the continent, except for Chad. He didn't like the Chadadians because they not only had a black as a president, he was a Christian. So uh, he had some issues with uh, Chad. They had a little border wars. In fact, I think Libya invaded Chad at one point. But the question is, again, if it, where is Africa and why are they not mentioned in this whole thing in reference to – were they consulted? Secretary Clinton, President Obama, they have not once said we have consulted with our African partners, all right? And again, if that's the case, then shouldn't there be some other people on that continent who should be watching their backs at this moment? Let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back on the other side.
International pressure is growing against Colonel Gaddafi. NATO is boosting its surveillance flights over Libya to 24 hours a day, as President Obama says the U.S. is considering possible military intervention. The U.K. and France are said to be drafting a U.N. resolution aimed at imposing a no-fly zone. And there are also suggestions America has asked Saudi Arabia to airlift weapons to opposition fighters. Well, let's get the latest from Garnet Chikan, Artie's correspondent in Washington, D.C. Also, Laura Emmett in London. First to you, Laura. Uh, tell us about that no-fly zone and how it could actually work. Well, a no-fly zone is, is very much what it says on the tin. It's a zone in which no planes are allowed to fly, essentially. And what it would mean is that it would give Allied planes the right to shoot down anything that took off inside Libya. And the idea behind that is to prevent uh, Colonel Gaddafi from turning his air force on his own people, from attacking civilians. Uh, so that's basically what it would do. Now, we do know uh, that Britain and France are said to be drafting uh, a UN resolution for a no-fly zone. William Haig, the Foreign Secretary here, says that he's working closely with his partners on what he's calling a contingency basis uh, on elements of a resolution for a no-fly zone. And we've heard from a foreign office source that it's only going to be used uh, in, in the case that it's needed, uh, but no decision has been taken yet to present it to the Security Council. We've also heard more recently that NATO has boosted aeroplane surveillance over Libya to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Rather ominously, they have said that that is part of a contingency plan that would go beyond humanitarian aid to Libya. Um, now, in the event that this uh, no-fly zone resolution is presented to the Security Council, it may not go down particularly well. Russia, as we know, has a veto on the UN Security Council. And uh, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has reiterated that Russia is very much against any kind of foreign intervention in the situation in Libya, of course, including uh, military intervention. Let's hear what he had to say. We've already made it clear that we don't see foreign and especially foreign military intervention as a means of solving the crisis in Libya. The Libyans have to solve their problems themselves, so not with the help of guns, only through peaceful political means. And as far as the consequences of a no-fly zone, uh, rebel forces, in fact, welcome, uh, well, would welcome it. They say that uh, they are outgunned at the moment by Gaddafi's planes, but if they only had to deal with, uh, with uh, Gaddafi's armed forces, with his ground forces, then they could deal with that. So it might tip the balance in what looks like a fairly even fight at the moment. Um, but, of course, a lot of commentators are saying that they see shades of Iraq in this. We had a no-fly zone uh, implemented ahead of the two 
2003 invasion of Iraq and critics of that no-fly zone said that it in fact resulted in more civilian casualties than there would have been without it. We have also heard rather worrying claims that Gaddafi possesses chemical weapons, which is of course exactly uh, the line that we were sold ahead of the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And of course we now hear uh, President Obama saying that the US and NATO allies are uh, considering military intervention, which is also uh, almost exactly what happened ahead of the invasion of Iraq, which is now known by some uh, to be, have been a legal war. Okay, thanks very much indeed for that, Laura, there in London. Let's now go to Washington, D.C. Ghana. It seems like pressure on Gaddafi is mounting on your side of the ocean. Although President Obama said military involvement in Libya is possible, he did not specify whether he was talking about direct or indirect involvement. The U.S. has reportedly asked Saudi Arabia if it can supply weapons to the rebels in Benghazi. The Saudis have been told that opponents of Gaddafi need anti-tank uh, rockets, mortars and ground-to-air missiles to shoot down Gaddafi's fighter bombers. The situation in Libya is critical as it is, with hundreds of people dead and with Gaddafi saying he will fight until the last man standing. And this reported arms supply that could come from the Saudis upon the request of the United States could inflame the situation even more. It has also been reported that the supplies could reach Benghazi within 48 hours. So we could be some two days away from a full-fledged civil war in Libya with the involvement of Western powers. For several days now, the U.S. US surveillance aircraft have been flying around Libya and sort of making assessments. Declaring a no-fly zone over Libya is one option that's now on the table of U.S. policymakers, even though uh, that option means a potentially protracted and costly military campaign. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said one of the biggest concerns that the U.S. has is Libya becoming a giant Somalia. That means power vacuum, radical forces all around, and the absence of a more or less credible leader to deal with. And say having that kind of a vacuum in Libya is very much inconvenient for the U.S., considering Libya is rich with oil. It has the largest proven oil, res oil reserves in Africa. It's very hard to predict who will get hold of those riches if Gaddafi is ousted. The U.S. once branded Gaddafi a mad dog, but later joined European powers in reconciliation to exploit Libya's oil wealth. Now that uh, dealing with Gaddafi is no more an option, experts say the U.S. could try to influence the situation in a different way. Reports say it could very well be a military way through arming the rebels. But history says that the practice of uh, shows uh, the history shows that the practice of arming the other side of a conflict not only does not stop the violence but inflames it even more. And here is what makes the arming the rebels possibility even more alarming. Americans themselves have estimated that Libya, especially the eastern part of the country, which is where the rebels have reportedly gained control is where it's home to a large number of jihadists. They make up a fifth of world jihadists. It's enough to say that one of the rebel leaders in northeast Benghazi was once Osama bin Laden's personal driver. The question here is whether the U.S. is going to end up putting weapons in the hands of radicals and destabilizing the region even more. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Ghana Chichikan live there in Washington, D.C. and also Laura Emmett there in London. Little insight there. Are they arming the rebels? What's going on here? What exactly is the battle taking place in this region here? A lot of again, some of this was taken. Uh, these words were uttered before, were spoken before the airstrike that has been taking place against Libya. The Tomahawk missiles, by the way, cost one million dollars each. They fired approximately 161 of those Tomahawk missiles. 
There's a total grand of what? Let me do my math here. Carry the one, zero, carry the one over here. Little dots. $161 million. Yet they're cutting the budget from education. Are we going to war? Is the United States going to war or declaring war on Libya? Let's hear what Senator Luger had to say. And we turn now to Senator Richard Luger, who is the top Republican on the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate. Uh, Senator, thank you for joining us. You were very, very dubious about this in the beginning. How do you feel about it this morning? Well, my feelings are that we are not uh, declaring war at this point. Uh, we are a part, uh, as the Admiral said, of a coalition. Uh, and in that case, we've already fired 110 missiles, tomahawks, uh, at Libya and had uh, some aircraft support. But my point uh, this week publicly has been that if we're going to war with Libya, we ought to have a declaration of war by the Congress. And specifically, before we go to war, there always ought to be a plan for what is going to proceed, that is for us at least, as well as for others, and what the outcome is, what we anticipate is going to occur. That's especially important in this case because the, the mission right now is based, as the Admiral said, on trying to relieve the civilians in Libya from a tyrant, from trying to make sure the cruelties and the murder and what have you doesn't continue. But how do you do that? Now, the President has been very clear no American boots on the ground, no ground troops, uh, no American aircraft over Libya. So we don't have exposure of our people. Uh, and uh, he emphasizes a matter of days, not weeks, in this mission. But uh, we really have not discovered who it is in Libya that we are trying to, to support. Obviously, the people that are against Gaddafi, but who? In eastern Libya, for example, a huge number of people went off to help the Iraqis against the United States in a war that still is just winding down in that sphere. Uh, now, specifically, uh, if we don't really concentrate on this now, we then take a look at uh, in the same news clips with Bahrain, where a government is shooting people. Uh, they are resisting the government. Furthermore, Saudi Arabia has sent 2,000 troops into Bahrain to support that government. We have the Fifth Fleet there. If that was not enough, Yemen is shooting people. The government is shooting citizens. And, and yet we are very indebted to that government for looking for al-Qaeda, who have come over from Afghanistan or elsewhere. Uh, and furthermore, even Syria today is, is shooting people in one part of the country as they try to suppress uh, difficulties there. The Tunisian-Egyptian thing set off a situation in which people who are resisting their governments have decided to go after them. Now, we, in Libya, because Gaddafi appears to be especially cruel uh, and uh, out of sorts, why the world, including the Arab League, ha has come into this. Well, it's what you're saying is that we're running the risk here of getting involved in all of these countries, that, uh, that the people in all these countries may be calling on us. Can, can we handle that? Well, that is the question we ought to determine. Now, these preliminary polls are the American people do not want to try to handle all of this. It's a strange time in which almost all of our congressional days are spent talking about budget, deficits, uh, outrageous problems, uh, and yet at the same time, the, all of this passes, which is a very expensive operation, even in a limited way, always is, uh, and, and we're talking about many countries in which our interests are involved. Now, we, we had better get this straight from the beginning, or, or there is going to be a situation in which war lingers on country after country, situation after situation, all of them on a humane basis, saving people, 
or maybe with the Arab League in or out of it. But at the same time, in this case, China and Russia and Germany and India and Brazil all standing aside and, and saying they're not very confident even about the Libyan situation. So you're still just as wary right now yes, as I you am. were at the beginning of this. Yes. Senator, thank you so much for bringing that. Thank you, Bob. That's insight. Senator Luger, very esteemed uh, senator, U.S. senator, been in the business and the game, has been at the forefront of the American political landscape for some time. He had mentioned something about India. Not comfortable with this. Well, you know, India was one of the people that uh, also uh, abstained from voting on these airstrikes, and now they have regrets about this airstrike. Let's see what the Indians have to say. India has expressed grave concern at the violence in Libya and has called for a peaceful resolution of differences. But even more uh, importantly, India has for the first time taken a clear stand on the use of uh, military might by world powers in Libya, saying that it regrets the airstrikes that are taking place. As uh, stated earlier by India, the measures adopted should mitigate and not exasperate and already difficult situation for the people of Libya is what the Ministry of External Affairs has said in a statement it released just a short while ago. A few days after actually abstaining from the resolution to declare the airspace over Libya no-fly zone by the United Nations, India has come out with that clear line. Let's go across to Shrinjoy Chaudhary, senior editor who's joining us with more details. Shrinjoy, this is the clearest that India has been when it comes to the Libya crisis, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. The whole point is that India was very uncomfortable, even from the beginning, about military intervention of any kind, which is why even when the issue came up uh, in the Security Council, India did not vote for it. India merely abstained, along with three or four other countries. The point is uh, because India is concerned that, that once you have military intervention of some kind, where does that situation take you? Now, that is something that worries India, which is why India has not uh, uh, intervened in, this, uh, in the case or rather voted for intervention. What uh, India hopes is that uh, this situation is, gets sorted out in some other way possible. Uh, but uh, the real point is that there are several countries, uh, including Britain, especially France, who are very gung-ho as far as uh, military intervention is concerned. And in this case, in the Security Council, it, it was their word that won the day. Now, of course, uh, there is military intervention. We've seen a plane being shot down in some way or the other. So yes. we will have to see what happens now. All right. Thank you for that. The war has certainly come to Libya. India has made its stand clear on the military airstrikes that took place. Now, I'm wondering, again, I mean, the, the saying was, that uh, American troops were not going to be put, you know, boots on the ground, and Americans would not be, American military would not be at risk of harm in this conflict. Yet, several days ago, I believe an F-15 crashed in Libya. The two pods ejected at night. The locals uh, gave drinks and things like that to one, I believe, to the pilot who let the locals keep the helmet. Uh, two air, uh, two jets came in, I believe, from a nearby carrier, dropped two five on East dropped a 500-pound bomb to back up the civilians because they didn't know if there was rebels or what have you. So something, something is astray here because if what were they doing over Libya in the first place? Maybe there was a reconnaissance, who knows? But the question that has come up again that some people have asked 
is this a war? Is this a unilateral war? Is this a multinational war? And again, where is the African Union and all this? All right, where are they? Because this was before the no-fly zone was initiated. This was the Italian foreign minister Fatini had to say. Italy can accept it, uh, provided that there is a resolution of Security Council of United Nations, a NATO decision, and there is a clear support from the Arab League and the involvement of the African Union. Uh, I don't see, uh, I would see, an impossible perspective to adoption of no-fly zone, but what is very important is the uh, uh, Saturday summit of the Arab League that will be deciding that position. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Thank you. What? 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 Wait, wait, wait. What, 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 what was that? He said the African Union? Wait a minute. They were actually mentioned by somebody? Did people remember the African Union? But you know, hey, look, the African Union has no backbone anyways. Remember, those folks were the organization of African states, and they had no backbone then. They have no backbone now. Because they're sitting there, probably because half of them are being subsidized by Western donors anyways. But, you know, where are they? Are they even demanding respect? Are they even saying, hey, look, you need to speak with us? That's our brother. And also, you wonder what would happen if this going to play out like Congo went through this. Because the rebels are saying that there are oil tankers carrying Libyan oil off the coast of Libya. And they're going to have the Qatars or Qatarians. I don't know if exactly what you call people from Qatar. That's a Q-U-A. That's Q-A-T-A-R. Again, that's Q-A-T-A-R. They're going to have those folks sell the oil for them. But wait a minute. Are they even a recognized government? Because some politicians are saying that they should be the recognized transitional government, and some politicians say you are crazy. You cannot take sides like that. But yet, how is the rebels making those kind of deals? Does that, does that not uh, scare anybody? Because this looks an awful like Congo. People are like, oh, he's talking about Congo. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll put it this way. Congo got invaded in 1996. And I remember vividly. While President Mobutu Seseko was still in power uh, fighting prostate cancer, I believe, there was video footage of the rebels who were supported by Rwanda, Uganda, and to a lesser, lesser extent, Burundi. Were, they showed them signing oil deals and mineral, not oil deals, mineral deals for diamonds and gold and coltan and all those things. While Mobutu was still the president, yet they showed on the news, Western news, the rebels signing deals with Western companies. Are we seeing the same play here? And will the same thing happen in Libya that happened in Congo and all look lost when President Kabila at that time was under siege from the Rwandans, the Ugandans, the Burundians, the ADFL, which was dominated by Rwandan Tutsis and and also had elements of the ex-Congolese files, those intellectuals like Wamba Dia Wamba and those guys, and uh, Dethel Shan, those guys. And uh, will we see the same thing when the, when the sun was going down and all the blocks for President Kabila? Then all, and he was also being shelled. Remember, Brazzaville was shelling Kinshasa also. Let's not sleep. We was being attacked by everybody. And across the water over there was the U.S. Marines ready to come into the United into uh, Congo to evacuate the American citizens. But at the last minute, as a, South, as a Southern African Development Corporation voted against, well, they voted to come defend Congo with the absentee voted who voted against this my absentee. He said no, President Nelson Mandela, who South Africa was sent selling arms to Rwanda, violating a U.S. UN arms embargo. But the brothers in Angola and Chad and Libya and Sudan, they said, we can't have this. And as everything looked dark, Bela woke up, looked out the window, 
here comes the Angolans, here come his friends, here come the Chadians, here come the Libyans, here come the Sudanese, here come the Zimbabwe's. Yes, they have their own arterial motives, but yet they came to defend Congo. Will we see the same thing play out in Libya? Will the Algerians say, wait a minute, we cannot allow this? Will the Egyptians say, wait a minute, we cannot allow this? This is going to be an Arab problem. This is going to be an African problem. Then, as President Obama said so eloquently some time ago, African problems need to have an African solution. So if Algeria gets into the fray, if Egypt gets into the fray, because remember the military is still in control, they are the all-supreme power in Cairo, will they say enough is enough, no pun intended? Will they say we will not allow this and send forces to take care of business over there in Libya as you see what's happening in Syria with the crackdown? People, what the, the people keep talking about the Arab League. What do the Arab League chiefs have to say about the no-fly zone, as was reported on France? 24. When the Arab League voted to support this no-fly zone just over a week ago, they stipulated they weren't advocating military action, but that the United Nations should decide how the no-fly zone should be enforced. Well, now, of course, the coalition targets in Libya, and the, the Libyans are saying many people, including civilians, have been killed and injured in these uh, U.S. and European-led airstrikes. Uh, I think the ferocity of the bombardment and the number of casualties has taken the Arab League by surprise. I mean, uh, Amamuza has said that their aim in approving the no-fly zone was to protect civilians and not subject them to more shelling. And he's asked for an official report for the coalition to find out exactly what's happened. Well, now that's what the Arab League has been saying about this uh, onslaught. People, what, is, what exactly is the, is the end game in Libya? Who are the rebels that people keep talking about? Who are they? What is the game? Okay, say Muammar Gaddafi steps down. Who comes to power? Then what? I mean, literally, and then what? Russian Today, some time ago, uh, their analyst Keith Harmon Snow has some insight into who he felt was involved in this conflict out there in Libya. And again, is it a conflict? Is it a war? Who is, who, who is being fought against? Who is the enemy? What's going on? Again, here is Keith Harmon Snow, journalist out of New England. Here's his point of view. These are his thoughts on Russia today. Isn't military action now the only option? Of course not. They could do all kinds of public uh, diplomacy, but there's been no attempt to be diplomatic and talk about this. It's an absolute, you know, a- aggressive action by the Western powers, by the NATO forces. It's about arms sales, and it's about uh, making sure that there's no popular uprising in Libya or across the region. Aggressive uh, action from the West, but supported by the Arab League, by Libya's neighbors. Isn't that significant? You can buy off anyone you want in this world if you have enough money. And what about then uh, the fact that there's a lot of debate over whether this Allied action is uh, to overthrow Gaddafi or indeed to save human lives? Whatever the outcome, the result's going to be welcome, isn't it? Well, you know, President Sarkozy from France has said today the Libyan people must be able to choose their own destiny. And uh, after these attacks by the French in the United States, 110 Tomahawk missiles and the French flight, uh, air flight air attacks, then we can return to uh, diplomatic activity. There was no diplomatic activity. This is an absolute war of aggression. It's just another war. And the, the world should really be frightened about the, the nature of NATO and American power and attacking their own 
dictators. But isn't this not a rebellion by the people of Libya? Isn't this what they want uh, after a dictatorship of over 40 years? And they've asked for help and they're getting it. Well, there's a popular uprising component to the uprising or the rebels' attacks in Libya, but there's also genuine, genuine dissidents, but there's also Islamic radical proxy forces that were backed by the United States during the Cold and Britain by the, during the Cold War. And there's uh, CIA-backed forces, the Front for the National Salvation of Libya. These are also part of the so-called rebels, and they're backed by other Western agencies like the uh, National Endowment for Democracy, who works subversively there. So this is really a very manipulated so-called conflict. The people of Libya, the real, true, free, popular uprising people of Libya are going to suffer the most, and it won't be very long once they get done with Gaddafi before the people, the true popular uprising, realizes that they have no control over their country because the United States and France and Italy and Britain have moved in again. How soon will all this be over? There, there is some concern that this could end up as another protracted conflict, what we're seeing in Afghanistan, Iraq. But surely this is all going to be over in a matter of days with all this coalition might against Gaddafi. He's not going to last long, is he? Not unless you get some serious backing from someone else. And that's the unpredictability that someone, I think, in your program earlier was speaking about. Algeria, it's, it's uncertain who, what, what could happen with the Arab world, the true you know, Arab people that have supported Gaddafi. You know, he does have some small revolutionary support, and there's a lot of people in the world that like what he has to say against imperialism. If Gaddafi does eventually go, uh, and bearing in mind uh, your comments earlier about this Western intervention, how do you see the future for the country? Can you actually draw parallels with past conflicts where we've seen similar intervention that we're seeing in Libya? Well, as I say, I believe that it, it, it may be over quickly, it may not, but in the end, uh, the United States and Britain and NATO, with their military might, will prevail one way or the other, crush any popular uprising, which they've already you know, partially done by letting Gaddafi roll over those rebel forces for a while. That was a tactic by the United States. And it can uh, get Gaddafi to, uh, to kill some of his own people, and then we can justify attacking him. And this is the, the extent of this hypocrisy by the West. It's, it's so thick that it practically drools. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much indeed. Keith Holman Snow joining us live there in the States. Thank, Thank you, you for uh, your analysis on the situation there in Libya. Those the insights, those the thoughts, personal opinion of Keith Holman Snow on Russia today. Who are the rebels? Who is their spokesperson? It's, not, it's, it's almost a parallel between DRC. Who is speaking for the ADFL? Is it, is it Kaseke? Is it Kasefe himself? Is this, who was the speaker? He got killed, obviously, because he's complaining there's too many uh, Rwandan Tutsis involved in the ADFL. They got rid of him. They got rid of the other people. But who was the spokesperson? And it's, it's, it's almost ironic, it's not even, I want to say ironic, it's almost a mirror image of how close, this is, again, if people can say it's close to this scenario, it's close to that scenario, but for me as a Congolese, it looks so similar to 1996, who are the rebels, we just want to bring freedom and democracy, and look what happened, look what happened, some of us, some of us have some insight into what this intervention will be for the Libyan people, we need to hear more from the Libyan people, someone look to do a show down the road, Hopefully with the next week I get some Libyans from the culture to speak on their thought. It's very important that we hear from the people from the culture to give their point of view. We can hear what President Obama has to say, but he's not Libyan. We can hear what our brother Keith Thomas Snow has to say, but he's not Libyan. We can hear what uh, PBS, Christian Amon Poor has to say. They're not Libyan, but they each have insight 
from a different, they have a different perspective that we put it together can actually put together the puzzle to get the clear picture. So each point of view, whether you agree with it, whether you don't agree with it, maybe there is there's some information in there that you can use to add to your line of thinking to have your point of view. Because, again, where is the outcry? As my brother Omar Kongo would say on the CD, intervention will be a tragedy for the Libyan people. Let's see what this individual has to say about it. To discuss the unfolding Libyan crisis, let's talk now to Annie Mashon. She's a former intelligence officer for MI5. She's with us on the line from Germany tonight. Thanks ever so much for being on RT. It's appreciated. Let's talk about the special forces sent to Libya by the US and the UK, if we can. They're there, they say, for humanitarian purposes only. Do you agree with that? Well, we've heard this all before, really, haven't we? And this is what tends to happen when our governments try to dance with the devil. Uh, we've seen this happen in Iraq before now, uh, where the insurgents have been supported by special forces since the occupation and invasion. And it's just not a, a good way to go. It, it will create resentment. Um, it won't foster the, the local democratic will. And it will give the dictator a pretext to crack down even harder. So I think it's definitely a very dangerous path to go down. We also saw today as well that three Dutch soldiers have been arrested and are being detained in Tripoli now, I believe. They allegedly went in to try and rescue a couple of Dutch nationals who were on their way out of the country perfectly fine before the intervention. So it's almost like um, they're trying to create a pretext or something where there are certain special forces in the country, some of whom might be captured, and then, of course, you need to go in and rescue the boys. So it's a perfect excuse for a larger-scale invasion or action. Very recently we've witnessed revolutions in Egypt, Tunisia as well, and in both cases there the U.S. called on the opposing sides to sit down and negotiate, but we aren't, are we, hearing quite the same rhetoric in respect to Libya this time. Why? Well, Gaddafi, of course, is um, a dictator. He has been in power for 42 years, and for much of that time he was one of the number one priorities for the U.S. and the U.K. intelligence agencies. He has been at the head of a rogue state, and he sees himself as a revolutionary as well. So it's a very different ballgame from trying to sit down and uh, get the two sides in Tunisia or Egypt, where the dictator was backed and a friend and an ally of the West. Gaddafi has, at least for three decades, been a massive thorn in the side for the West. However, of course, they didn't learn the lesson of how they dealt with Saddam Hussein, where in the 1980s he was seen as a crucial ally and was armed and backed by the US and the UK, and then of course went rogue again. Gaddafi was, uh, as I said, one of the, the leading security threats throughout the 1980s and 1990s to Western interests. I mean, he was backing organizations like the Abu, Abu Nidal organization, the provisional IRA and various Palestinian groups so um, he has caused a lot of problems and it was almost too quick the way that the West tried to affect the rapprochement as soon as he said in 2003 okay you can have my weapons mass destruction mm -hmm. they welcomed him with open arms and Tony Blair created quite a, a dangerous situation I think by just accepting him almost uncritically back into the fold. We're hearing dire predictions what's your take what, what would foreign intervention mean for Libya and on the flip side of the coin what's in it for the Western power who are offering that very support. Well, I think foreign intervention for the Libyan people will be a tragedy because we've seen what happened in Bosnia, we've seen what happened in Iraq, where uh, the, the general population suffer. It's not the government, which, you know, the sanctions are notionally imposed against that suffers. It's the general population. They're already um, in dire straits. They're suffering violence. They're suffering hunger as well. So they will be the ones that have to bear the brunt of any international intervention. Um, in terms of what might happen for the West, 
Well, this is a difficult one. As I said, it's very much dancing with the devil. Uh, a dictator who is rogue, who has nowhere to go now because his assets have been frozen in the West. Um, he can't flee. He is now wanted potentially in the International Criminal Court for war crimes. So he's got nothing to lose. He will fight to the death. And even if he were to win, even if he cracks down incredibly brutally and crushes the rebels in Libya and maintains power yet again, then we have a situation where someone who was welcomed back into the international diplomatic fold is going to be very angry and very, very cynical um, about his former allies in the West. So once again, it will become a rogue state. It will become uh, a breeding ground uh, for terrorist backers and things like that. It's going to be a nightmare. Annie, that may be what's ahead in the future. Uh, but let's talk about the present. Experts saying opposition forces in the country at the moment are too weak to win the battle against Gaddafi by themselves. That's a crucial bit, I guess, isn't it? What's your opinion on that? Well, certainly the reports are coming out that uh, the rebels are being armed and backed and assisted by uh, the UK and the US. And it's, it's not a surprise to me, should we say, because even in the 1990s we had a situation where MI6 and the Americans were supporting and funding and helping uh, Islamic extremists within Libya to try and topple Colonel Gaddafi. This was the, the infamous Gaddafi plot from 1996. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're now doing the same, but slightly more openly. Um, but again, we get this escalation, therefore, of, of potential terrorism, and uh, we don't see uh, a healthy and organic development of democracy. We see something that's very much controlled from the outside, and that's not what Libya needs at this time. Anna, you're going to be best placed to answer this one. It's an interesting line that's come out over the past couple of days. Since the beginning of the unrest, many um, journalists we're hearing have reportedly been contacted by PR agencies, uh, uh, acting mm. apparently for the various leaders of the countries we've been talking about, trying to get them to stem the flow of negative headlines. Now, given your experience, uh, what role do you think can spin play in a situation like the one spreading across the Arab world? Well, I mean, spin has been crucial in Middle Eastern politics for many, many years. I mean, spin is what took Britain into the Iraq war, for example. You know, all those, those crass headlines about weapons mass destruction and deployment within 45 minutes. But again, in, in the case of Libya specifically, certainly back in the 1990s, they have a history of, of paying uh, UK-based PR companies to try and spin their position. And it did work for a certain amount of time. Uh, so, for example, in 1995, a UK-based PR agency was paid £4 million to try and subvert the evidence that pointed towards Libyan involvement in the Lockerbie case. And this is what has led to all sorts of alternative theories about Lockerbie. Uh, although, of course, all the evidence did point to the fact that al-Megrahi and uh, Lam and Fima were actually responsible. Mm. So Libya knows how to play by these, these rules. They know how to play the game. And I'm not at all surprised that they're now doing it again. Annie Macklin, former intelligence officer for MI5, talking to us on the line from Dusseldorf tonight on RT. Thank you for your input. Interesting insight there, very thorough from M5. My goodness, now that's probably like CIA level over there. So let's take a little commercial break. And what comes to mind, I wonder if uh, Colonel, President Colonel Qaddafi feels he's alone, or his friends, as Mr. Snow had mentioned earlier, will Algeria come to the rescue? Will there be a Han Solo moment towards the end of Star Wars where it looked like Luke Skywalker was going to be shot out of the space? Can't say the sky because they're in space. By Darth Vader, Luke, I am your father. And all of a sudden, here comes Han Solo to the rescue. Who knows? Or is President Gaddafi truly alone? Let's take a musical commercial break here.
people is is Colonel Gaddafi alone, or is the cavalry coming over the hills? People, what is your thought on this? What do you think? You talk with your friends, you talk with your colleagues. What do you think is going on here? I mean, and again, how, how would you feel if you was the African Union president? Can't remember his name right now. How could you look in your colleagues in the eye? <laughs> well, they say, how come we're not involved? Isn't Libya, I mean, you know, Egypt was part of Africa, so they found that the Egyptians actually made the pyramids. Then they stuck it over there, you know, over there on, you know, east of the Sinai. It was very interesting. I think it was my brother or was it, uh, my other brother, Mo Kosomo, put up a CNN screen capture. I think it was him. Or was it Joseph Mbangu out of New York? Not sure. But they put up a screen cha- uh, capture where I believe it was CNN actually had a map of the Middle East. I say to you not. No lie. And Egypt was next to Israel. I swear to God. God's my witness. I'll see if I can find that image and put it on the blog on this radio station. I see. <laughs> to this day, it's still bugging me out. This was about four or five weeks ago. But people, what is going on here? I mean, seriously, what is going on here? The man was moving on his people, you know, the rebels. And next thing you know, the airstrikes come in, and the rebels are now advancing. Why is there no attack on the rebels, on their tanks? A plane was landing two, three days ago. The plane was landing, and the French came and blew it out of the sky. I think it was a fighter plane for violating the no-fly low zone. Well, they're landing. They're blowing up Gaddafi tanks. They're blowing up Gaddafi uh, military hardware and ordnance. Gaddafi's military forces are fleeing some of the scenes and kind of meld into the crowds. Yet there are still snipers in Benghazi. Are those the people who are just fanatics? Or are they loyal? Who, 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 are, who is it for people to say, how can I say that another person's president is not fit to rule? Do I have that right? Yes, under the Constitution of America, free speech. But just because it's right, does it make it so? That is the question I ask you. Where is this going to lead to? Is this going to escalate? Look at Syria. You want to see a crackdown. Look at Syria. But there's no word being mentioned there. Will there be a no-fly zone put over Syria? And again, I was talking to my friend Cameron earlier on. Could you imagine if the African Union voted to put a no-fly zone over Italy and France? Could you imagine the reaction for for Scarsozzi, is that his name, Uh, the French uh, president? And why is he so aggressive? Let's talk about a little, 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 little unknown component here. Remember, the French was all over North Africa. What does it say to the Libyans that it's the French who are pushing for the attack on Libya? It was Scarsozzi and those guys who were pushing for a military solution. The colonial has returned to the roost. What do you think they are saying? What are your thoughts on that? What do you think is going through their mind? And say the rebels do, these whoever they may be, do take power in Libya. Will anybody respect them saying you needed the West help? Will Qatar? Well, let me tell you about Qatar's contribution to this international coalition. They donated one fighter jet and two boats. Can you stand it? I don't know how they can spare it. But they contributed one fighter jet and two boats. Where is this leading to, people? Are we seeing another Vietnam saying if we don't end it here, it will escalate into neighboring countries? Or will we see the Vietnamese defeat the West in Vietnam 
and notice there's trouble in Cambodia and invade Cambodia to deal with the Khmer Rouge. Will we see that? What do you think will happen? Let's give you an update on the Libyan airstrikes as they went underway several days ago. Good afternoon. This is an update from CBS News. I'm Russ Mitchell in New York. A major attack led by the U.S. is underway against Muammar Gaddafi's air defense systems in Libya. U.S. and British warships and submarines in the Mediterranean have launched more than 110 Tomahawk cruise missiles at 20 sites near Tripoli and along the coast. The strikes are meant to make it safe for Allied fighters to enforce a no-fly zone and protect Libyan rebels and civilians from attacks by Gaddafi forces. Let's get the latest now from CBS News National Security Correspondent David Martin at the Pentagon. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Russ. The first missile was launched at 2 p.m. and landed exactly one hour later at 3 p.m. The targets consisted of communication centers, early warning radars, and surface-to-air missiles. It will now be several hours before satellites and remotely piloted drones can go overhead, take pictures, and tell exactly how effective the strikes were. David Martin at the Pentagon, thank you very much. Mark Phillips is on the ground in Tripoli, where at about an hour it will be Sunday morning. Mark, what's happening your way? Not much happening here. One place that doesn't appear to have been on the target list, at least for the first waves, is anywhere in central Tripoli. Uh, no flashes, no sounds of any large explosions. The Libyans, though, themselves have been told that this attack is underway, being carried out, in fact, by the crusader enemy, as it's put here. But they say that civilian targets, hospitals, fuel storage dumps, and that kind of thing have been hit. No view this evening either of Muammar Gaddafi. There was a large crowd in his compound, but that, too, apparently not on the target list. Russ? Okay. Mark Phillips in Tripoli, thank you very much. Again, a major Allied air attack is underway tonight in Libya. Stay with CBS News and CBSNews.com for the very latest. I'm Russ Mitchell, CBS News. Let's go for a different perspective on the airstrikes. Here's an exclusive for you. Fighter jets, ships and submarines from France, US and UK are pounding Libya. The first airstrike by France took place at 10.15 Indian Standard Time on Saturday. On Sunday then, cruise missiles at the speed of 900 kilometers per hour, several hundred Tomahawk missiles and bombs are targeting military installations. This strike has had strong reactions from Gaddafi supporters in Tripoli. Americans of France or Italy or all the world, you know, help the Gaddafi. Give them the guns over all the world. Why? But what? But the uh, oil? What? Oil. Take the oil. But just leave, leave the people here. Two full hours with no stop shooting civilians. And this is the truth, I swear. I've seen it my eyes. Our message to the international community is where are you as this genocide takes place at the expense of the Libyan people. But the rebel army is saying that they have been saved from a sure slaughter by the Gaddafi forces. Uh, earlier in the day we saw pro-Gaddafi forces making a major assault into Benghazi city and leading to widespread firing and clashes which, were, which, which, which was eventually retaliated by the rebel forces out here. Three of the main BRIC countries, India, China and Russia, are not happy with the airstrikes. India had abstained while voting on the UN resolution to enforce the no-fly zone on Libya. But India has made it very clear it does not support the airstrikes. China and Russia did not veto the UN resolution. 
but China is now saying that it supports Libya's territorial integrity. Russia, the traditional ally of Gaddafi, is more vocal than India and China, and it has demanded immediate end to the bloodshed in Libya to facilitate a dialogue. But the West seems united in its resolve to continue strike against Gaddafi. The armed forces of the United States to begin a limited military action in Libya in support of an international effort to protect Libyan civilians. And as I said yesterday, we will not, I repeat, we will not deploy any U.S. troops on the ground. Colonel Gaddafi has made this happen. He has lied to the international community. He has promised a ceasefire. He has broken that ceasefire. He continues to brutalize his own people. And so the time for action has come. It needs to be urgent. We have to enforce the will of the United Nations, and we cannot allow the slaughter of civilians uh, to continue. U.S. is claiming that the military strikes have tripled the Libyan defenses. According to Admiral Mike Mullen, who is, as you said, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the highest-ranking military officer in the United States, essentially a no-fly zone has been, for the most part, established across Libya. The military attacks by the Allied forces have also stopped the advance of Gaddafi's forces into the rebel city of Benghazi. With video journalists Fizdos Ahmed and Sohail Bukhari in Benghazi, Priyanka Gupta for NewsX. On top of that, it's very interesting because we talked about Benghazi on an earlier show. We talked, I think the show was entitled, The Sands of Burning is the Bush Next. Benghazi is a historical rival of Tripoli. It goes back years, I think hundreds of years. I'm not sure the exact start of the rivalry between the two, but Benghazi, that is a historical rival with Tripoli. Do you think that people in Tripoli are going to lay down and say, hey, we're going to be under the rulership of them? It's almost like Congo back in the day when people didn't like the word Congo because it had, it had connotations or uh, what have you of the old Congo empire. If you was like another ethnic group like the Baluba or the Bashi, whatever, you were like, wait a minute, I'm Bashi, I'm not uh, Bakongo. So Zaire was a, you know, a little misnomer on the name of the river at that time. They thought it was in Zaire, but they thought there was, you know, the Portuguese, as the uh, uh, explorers and the dudes understood the word, thought it was Zaire. Um, they felt Zaire was a little more neutral for everybody in the culture, in the country. So we're going to see the same thing. Okay, the rebels who take power, and the Triple A's are going to say, wait a minute, they're coming from Benghazi. we got to be under them. You know an insurgent is going to rise. And what's happening in West Libya? I understand Gaddafi's forces are fighting there. And again, if Gaddafi is some kind of madman that has no leadership, I'm just asking the questions. I'm not taking sides, what have you. But how is it the army is, is, is to fight so far away and the army is not, is not uh, retreating in mass? All they have to do is switch sides, like I believe happened in either Bahrain or the UAE. I could be uh, mistaken where the powerful leader, it was a Yemen, where the powerful leader switched eyes and people said the president's time is numbered. So who are these people? Why are people saying that he's some kind of madman in reference to Gaddafi, that people aren't loyal to him? The army's fighting hundreds of miles away or miles away from the capital. They could all switch sides, but they haven't. They believe in him. But people, are, is it fair to write them off and say these people are hoodwinked and bamboozled and have no idea what's going on? Or is this really, is, as his son Saif said, this is going to spiral into another Somalia. It's going to break down to another civil war. This is going to happen because, again, say they do close in on Gaddafi's hometown, I think it's 30, and they take it over, then what? 
Are they really going to try moving on Triple E? Who knows what could happen? What's going to happen at the eleventh hour? And again, where's the you know how? My thing is, where's Cote d'Ivoire and all this? You want to talk about a genocide? Let me tell you about the. You want to talk about real civil war? Agbo is the army is recruiting youth down in Cote d'Ivoire. We're talking about north and south here, arming and training the youth. You can't see people can't see what's coming. But yet the UN is only able to request 2,000 more soldiers there. Is there no fly zone over Cote d'Ivoire? Are they uh, putting a freeze on overseas accounts? Who was the guy? Was it in Guinea where the son wanted to build some massive multi-million dollar yacht? And so they, and on top of that, they found some of his money was in a bank in Baltimore. Where is the no fly zone over Cote d'Ivoire in that conflict? Yet my question is this: Is it fair? Are the Africans themselves? that were really high on Obama, are they dis- uh, President Obama, are they disappointed to see that the first war he, we'll call it a war for another better name or conflict, the first one that he initiated is against the Africans in the North? Are they now feeling disillusioned, saying we gave this guy a vote, now we're getting back the guns? Are they questioning themselves? And again, where is the African Union? We'll be talking about that on our next show when we talk about NATO. Uh, battle, African Union versus NATO. Someone sent me a text message here on my phone who's on the show. Thank you for listening. We have about, my God, 400 listeners here. But you guys don't talk, <laughs> but I get text messages. Someone asked me, uh, Saeed, you're, coming, you're from Congo. What is the position of, of, we'll say, President Obama when it comes to Congo, even Cote d'Ivoire? Well, here is some, here is uh, President Obama. To expect President Obama to always come to the aid of Africa or African nations, such as Zimbabwe. Is there no fly zone over Zimbabwe? What is going on? Why is there not? Do we even, what do you think? Me? I just ask the question. I think if there's going to be a solution when it comes to Africa or whatever, if the Africans, a lot of these leaders, they either want to mimic the West or whatever they want to do. They have to demand the respect. And the way that happens when you deal with the West, it has to do with power. If you can't resolve the situation in Zimbabwe, is it fair for you to say, oh, let the Americans do it? Should the African Union even be respected? We should make that its own show. Should they even be respected? It seems like they're able to do – it's very interesting. A lot of these governments seem like – that's part of the African Union – seem like they're able to quell rebellion, democracy, journalistic free speech – in their own countries, yet when it happens somewhere else, they have nothing to say. So, in answer to my friends in the text message, this is what President Obama had to say to the people of Cote d'Ivoire. The eyes of the world are on Cote d'Ivoire. Last year's election was free and fair, and President Alassane Ouattara is the democratically elected leader of the nation. And I commend President Ouattara for offering a peaceful future for all Ivorians, an inclusive government, reunification, and reconciliation. Now Cote d'Ivoire is at a crossroad, and two paths lay ahead. One path is where Laurent Gbagbo and his supporters cling to power, which will only lead to more violence, more innocent civilians being wounded and killed, and more diplomatic and economic isolation. Or Cote d'Ivoire can take another path, where Gbagbo follows the example of leaders who reject violence and abide by the will of the people. 
where Ivorians reclaim your country and rebuild a vibrant economy that was once the admiration of Africa, and where Cote d'Ivoire is welcomed back into the community of nations. This is the choice that must be made, and it's a choice for all Ivorians. So I want to close by speaking directly to the people of Cote d'Ivoire. You have a proud past, from gaining your independence to overcoming civil war. Now you have the opportunity to realize your future. You deserve a future of hope, not fear. You deserve leaders, like President Ouattara, who can restore your country's rightful place in the world. You deserve the chance to determine your own destiny. It's time for democracy in Cote d'Ivoire, and those who choose that path will have a friend and partner in the United States of America. There we go. That was President Obama's words. To the people of Cote d'Ivoire, we'll discuss this more on, I believe, our show is Wednesday, Battle Cote d'Ivoire. The battle is coming. Women have been gunned down during the marches. And even today's speech when President Obama was talking to the nation in reference to Libya, he mentioned that rape is being taken place. That reminds me a lot of when the uh, Afghanistan, when then-President Bush II was to lead the invasion into Afghanistan. And everybody knew what the Taliban was doing, going back to when they blew up the two statues and what have you. And to motivate the people, what they did was they talked about how the women were being brutalized, being executed, were being harassed, were being murdered in Afghanistan. And today with the journalist, with the young lady who crashed a journalistic uh, event about two days ago in Libya, saying that she was stopped at a, road, at a roadblock and raped by the Libyan forces. She ran in there and people ran her out and took her to jail, what have you. No one knows what happened. And the reporters said they were not able to verify her story. Yet today, President Obama mentions the aspect that people, they mentioned the aspect of rape in Libya. Is that going down a road that cannot be returned upon? What do you think, people? Two minutes left here. Let's take this off the air. Thank you for tuning in. Today, Battle Libya, I hope I answered some of your questions by some of our audio we let, we uh, allowed you to listen to. Again, the thoughts and expressions of those are those of speakers and not do, do not represent myself. I just put it out there that you put it together. It's not just way one person to the other. It's just to ask the questions of what, of what I think needs to be asked. What will happen tomorrow? What is happening now in Libya? Are civilians being killed, being murdered? Are they being destroyed? Is lives being lost, is lives being wasted? People, these are your thoughts, these are your concerns. What do you want to do? Let's go off the air here. Let's. What can we do? Let's go on a lighter note here. What can we do here? What can we do here? The Italians, let's give love to the Italians up there, the foreign minister who actually mentioned the African Union. So we have one minute left, but we'll go about five minutes beyond the time. Break for love. Tiger Kese Dabinga, live and direct. I am gone. Take care. Much love. Amore. Tempo, per amore.
Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.